What's up, Water Ballers? Welcome to the Texas Triangle, a basketball fan podcast where we discuss the Dallas Mavericks, Houston Rockets, and San Antonio Spurs. Uh, I'm Danny, and uh, I really wish I was a Balkan boy. Uh, with me, as always, is James. Yeah, but there's always next decade. Oh, no. And last but not least, Jonathan. Sporan Sporan is my favorite band. <laughs> This week of the Triangle, uh, James is going to wrap up the Rocket season for us and maybe give us a little bit of a glimpse into the future. Um, JD and I will be doing some prospect deep dives, uh, and then we are going to play a little game called Role Reversal. Um, James, do you want to go ahead? And uh, I think you probably have the most to discuss. JD and I, our teams haven't played in a little while here. Uh, your team just wrapped up. What's basketball? Yeah. <laughs> it's what the 19 year olds do that our teams are about to pick is really uh, the, all i know um yeah james can you uh talk about talk about the kind of rocket season as a whole maybe the last couple of games specifically yeah so uh after winning the first exhibition game against the lakers we thank you for recognizing to that lose. finally that they're games that don't matter you already won the Texas yeah, well, championship. Just be happy the, with the rockets acted like it didn't matter near the end so i mean <laughs> Um, yeah, so we won the first game just like the Blazers did, and then we proceeded to lose four consecutive games with really the last game being the worst of the bunch. Uh, it was kind of a wild week with, uh, getting a very random and out of the blue did not play, uh, for both Tyson Chandler and Daniel house in game three. And then Daniel house again, for the rest of the series because he apparently tried to or did sneak someone into the bubble and was then proceeded to be kicked out of the bubble, which is really that's <laughs> just the most distracting and unexpected way to lose your sixth man and best player off the bench. I just want to say I was sent I was sent a snippet of a Rockets podcast, a fairly popular Rockets podcast apparently, um, that theorized that the woman who uh, was snuck into his room was either a plant from another team that wanted to try to get Daniel House kicked out of the bubble um, or was a, uh, a plant from a gambler who had a lot of money on the game. And so that's where that's kind of where uh, Rockets fans are at the moment, I think. Uh, yeah, those guys are <laughs> pretty much all just doofuses. There's a lot of fans out there reaching for explanations for that frustrating series of events but but yeah so game three was okay we ended up we had a lead heading into the fourth and then we ended up losing game four we just were down early and uh, westbrook nearly brought us back but it, it was too little too late in the end game four Playoff Rondo was really there. He nearly had a triple-double. Really, really boiled down to a lot of it being the bench play, the role players of the Lakers. They just got great quality minutes from Rondo, Caruso. Even Caldwell Pope had some positive games. And Talon Horton Tucker, out of nowhere, like he was in game four, he played seven minutes and was plus nine in the box score with two steals, a couple rebounds, and some points. They they went small. Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, I don't think, played after game one. <clears throat> so after that, they went small and kind of 
we're able to decide our own game in, in a sense. But uh, game five, man, I tuned in and we were down big and it never got better. Uh, the first half, we only shot 13 threes, which was absolutely wild. It wasn't because, you know, we're not, it's not because we weren't trying to shoot threes, but the Lakers just, their defense was incredible. Every time we would make a good pass, they would recover so quickly. It was, it was rough. Um, so game five, we were down big and the team kind of just folded. Except for Westbrook, he was barking to the end, you know, to teammates, to Lakers, to Rondo's brother. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I saw a clip floating around where the it was like, I think the fourth quarter, the Rockets are down like 20, 30, something like that. And uh, Westbrook is yelling at LeBron that he better double team him. <laughs> yeah, and LeBron <laughs> just left. Which Not the time, dude. <laughs> yeah. Game five, man, I, I watched some of the game in the background, but it wasn't great to watch so i kind of was tuned out for a amount of it but i just looked at the box score and yeesh uh james harden had 30 points russell westbrook had 10 jeff green had 13 and as a team we shot 37 percent. eric gordon had five points so three people in double digits with two of them only one person had more than 13 points yeah, I'm seeing lots of uh, trade Eric Gordon talk on, uh, maybe not trade, but get rid of Eric Gordon talk on Rockets Twitter. Trade him yeah. for a draft pick. <laughs> good. This is a good draft <laughs> I, to get I, some draft picks. Yeah, I just don't think it's only his good because we, that we know high. Think about it. And about it. one thing I, I want to about prospects with us. One thing I want to point out was something that, uh, so just some text messages between us months ago before we even started this. Um, whenever the Rockets signed Jeff Green, I basically <laughs> I said that having Jeff Green is a sign that your team isn't good enough. Which <laughs> he's okay as as your eighth or ninth man. I mean, he can be a good player, but at this point of his career, if he's playing twenty five to thirty five minutes a night for you in the playoffs and is supposedly has to be your best player off the bench, then you, you're, <laughs> you're not, you're not good enough. Hey, at I least also, he wasn't, uh, at least he wasn't trying to get his noodle wet. Yeah. So Jeff green played his heart out, but he also just isn't good enough at this point of his career to really be a sixth man. So yeah, after the game, Harden was saying that, the Daniel House thing was a distraction, which I mean, duh. But really, I think we could have at least sent the series to six games if we had Daniel House there, but he wasn't there. So, what can you do? Yep. So yeah, that's I guess the the gist of uh, the last few games. The season as a whole, I would say it was a disappointment because anything less than a championship is a disappointment in team in Daryl Morey's eyes. We had some success with Westbrook, put him at the block, uh, top of the key and let him go against centers, really. like He had some great games, especially against big-name centers like Rudy Gobert, just roasting them um, as he would play essentially the center spot, of the non-shooting center spot, and he would uh, he would do well there. But 
in the bubble, he was injured and he was in a horrendous shooting slump and kept shooting when he, even when he shouldn't. So Eric right. Gordon was in a season long shooting slump. Yeah. So that was kind of rough. I mean, to be fair, he had some injuries too. And so that kind of really, uh, affected him, I'm sure. And so James Harden was our only consistent guy. Uh, it, it was a very interesting experiment of a season going all in with the small ball. But in the end, we're here for championships. Daryl Morey's looking for those. And it barely squeaking by Chris Paul after trading Chris Paul and a bunch of draft picks to that team shows that uh, we kind of took a step sideways or backwards instead of step a step forward with that trade. Hey, you won the championship that matters at least. Yeah, I guess we got past the first round and yeah, finished ahead of the other two uh, Texas teams. So. You won the Texas championship, and that's the only real Could one. Could have been worse. Uh, all right, I think uh, JD and I are going to uh, <laughs> JD and I are going to jump into some uh, prospect talk. Before we do that, though, um, you guys saw the picture floating around Twitter. I think Goran Dragic tweeted it. Um, where it's him and a bunch of other Balkan NBA players were having dinner in the bubble. Uh, no, see that? I didn't see that. It was yeah. uh, players from from several Balkan countries. Had, uh, Nikola Jokic and Boban Marjanovic from Serbia. Uh, Luka Doncic, Goran Dragic, and Vlako Chanchar from Slovenia. Um, Nikola, Vuc- Nikola Vucevic from Montenegro. Vita Zubats and uh, Mario Hazonia from Croatia and Yusuf Nurkic from Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, on the 26th, the night of the NBA shutdown, they all just decided to get together and uh, speak in their own native languages and basically just got real drunk in the bubble uh, together. Uh, and I've never wanted to be at a party more than I want have wanted to have been at that party. Um, also, this, this picture uh, that was taken... Um, I think uh, Nurkic tweeted one out that had a few more guys at it. He asked uh, his coach, Terry Stotts, to take it, which is very funny to me. They're just at brunch, and they asked Terry Stotts to take a group picture of them, which is just incredible. That's Uh, nice. It just looks a lot like a future Dallas Mavericks team picture to me. Uh, (laughs) So I wanted to to bring it up, and I will uh, forever desperately wish that I was part of the Balkan boys, which is what uh, Yusuf Nurkic dubbed them. Well, they're not quite the uh, banana boat crew. But. Yeah, I'm taking Balkan Boys over the banana boat crew uh, ten times. That's such a better days. name, the Balkan Boys. It's yeah. a great name, man. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm taking the Balkan Boys a hundred percent of the time. I want to hang out with them. I want them to be on my basketball team so bad. Uh, okay, uh, I just just wanted to take us on a little sidetrack there. So when I talk about the Balkan boys forever for the rest of our lives, you guys will have an idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, JD, how about you get us started with your first prospect? Cool. Yeah. So um, today I'm going to talk about two guys that, in all likelihood, will not be at uh, pick 11, but these are guys that potentially we could trade up for. Um, because I know the Spurs are interested in big men, and I would rather talk about the two big men in the lottery than um, the uh, the other big men in this draft, because these two are a lot more exciting. So the first one I'm going to talk about is James Wiseman. Uh, he's 19 years old. 
seven foot one with a seven six wingspan and two hundred and thirty five pounds. Um, basically, he's an athletic big man with all kinds of upside, but he's still a a question mark. So he's got the physical tools to be a significant force on both ends, but he's going to have to do a lot of work in order to maximize his strengths that he already has and to fix up his weaknesses. So the other one that I'm going to talk about is um, Onyeka Okongwu. And James Wiseman is much more of a project than Okongwu, um, but his physical profile gives him such a huge potential that um that it it just can't be ignored he's he's got david robinson's body and i can't look past i can't look past that i just i hope that we can have the second coming of the admiral um so his his current offensive strengths are running hard to the rim in the pick and roll and the the open court so he's he's got long strides Great leaping ability, so he's a a devastating lob threat already. He's got a nine foot five standing reach, so he could grab rim on his tiptoes. Dang, um, too tall. Yeah, it, <laughs> too tall for you, but too tall. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's also got some some good rebounding instincts. He he fights for position on uh, put back put back opportunities. Um, so as an offensive player, he he's intriguing already. Um, his weaknesses on offense are he's got poor vision and passing ability, just inaccurate throws. He misses open cutters and shooters. Um, he gets a little tunnel visioned when he gets the ball. Um, and he doesn't really have any ability to playmake for himself or create shots for his teammates. Uh, basically he's just a play finisher at the moment. Um, he settles for jump shots a little too often and he probably seeks them out a little bit too much as well. Um, a lot of, a lot of turnaround like faders and stuff. Um, when probably he'd be better off giving the ball back to a guard and relocating or doing, putting like getting himself in position, uh, for a, a, a better pass deeper inside, uh, but a lot of turnarounds from the high post that I would like to see out of his game, uh, unless he becomes a significantly better shooter. He's just not quite there yet. Uh, so his defensive strengths are size. That's pretty much it um, at, at the moment. He's got a good motor, um, but the main thing is he's, you know, seven one with a seven six wingspan and can jump out of the building. So, like, he can get blocks and um, um, he can deter drivers from attempting layups or he can just mess with people on that, like, when he's under the basket. But he doesn't have a lot of defensive skills. Uh, he jumps on too many pump fakes. He, he chases blocks a lot. He's often out of position uh, and he's late to help on rotations. And he can easily be exploited if he's pulled away from the basket. He's not great at defending in space. So those are all areas of improvement that he's going to need to work on if he's going to put his physical tools, if he's going to maximize his physical tools. Because he he could be 
one of the best center defenders in a couple of years, but he has a lot of work to do right now. He's just physically he's there. He, he just needs to work on, uh, on a lot of IQ stuff. Um, he, he also needs to work on shooting it, it. It seems that he's a very willing shooter. He, he wants to shoot the ball. So he's going to need to, to work on that. Um, and I'd like to see him add a, a post-up game, get a couple of moves down low, just something that he can he can go to rather than just a turnaround jumper. Um, add a little bit more versatility. Um, and if he's going to add a little bit more versatility to score for himself, then he's going to need to be able to hit an open cutter or an open shooter. If, if he can draw defenses to him with more um more gravity in the post then he's going to be able to he's going to have to be able to pass the ball out of that um so those are those are the points that i have on on james wiseman do you guys have any questions i just want another david robinson yeah even if he's baby david robinson i i want him to like maximize his potential it just is so intriguing in order to get James Wiseman, you guys will certainly have to trade up. Um, do you have you looked into any like avenues that might make that happen? Any potential trade scenarios, or is this just kind of like a hey, you never know type? Scenario? Not yet. So I, I would like to look more into that. the The problem is, I think we would only trade up if he fell to like seven or eight. Oh, okay. I don't think there's any possibility that we trade up higher than that right um but anything can happen anything can happen that's true this is going to be a weird draft uh okay uh i am going to i'm going to talk about josh green uh he is a guy that uh, uh, sadiq bay is my number one target i think with that number 18 pick um if i can't get sadiq bay josh gray is a really good or josh green is a really good uh consolation prize for me um he is 19 years old he turns 20 in november so he's a younger guy uh he's a wing from the university of arizona uh, and he is australian he's from uh castle hill new south wales australia so uh love an australian guy um he is six foot six inches tall with a 610 wingspan he's about 210 pounds um, he's a really really good looking jumper um his jumper kind of looks like clay thompson's jumper a little bit um feet feet spread out pretty wide um, kicks out his leg just a little bit, but not too much. Um, he lacked consistency as a three-point shooter in college. He shot about 36% from three, uh, but his form is certainly there. And I think with more reps, um, which, you know, of course, in college, they don't get to practice nearly enough, especially on things like uh, they don't just get to hammer away at shooting threes forever. Um, with I think with more reps, he should develop into a very, very good spot-up shooter. Um, he did shoot 47% from three on three attempts per game over his last 10 games of the season, um, but he had a really shaky December and January. Uh, so the form is certainly there. Um, the ability is certainly there. It's just kind of if he can get those reps and pull it all together, I think he could be a, an excellent uh, spot-up shooter at the next level. Um, he is not not really a scorer off the dribble, um, he's never, never really going to create his own scoring opportunities. He really needs to be paired with a skilled playmaker like Luka Doncic, maybe. 
Uh, yeah, pair him with a really skilled playmaker that can find him on the perimeter in a catch-and-shoot scenario uh, or can find him uh, as a slasher. He cuts to the basket and is a pretty good finisher as a slasher. Um, pair him with a guy like that, and he's going to be a pretty good offensive weapon. Um, he does love shooting the floater. It's probably his second most effective offensive tool behind uh, spot-up shooting. Um, which I don't love because it just gives me Justin Jackson flashbacks, and I don't really love to see Wing shooting a floater, but he actually is pretty effective with it. Uh, he runs the floor really well. He's a really athletic guy, and he does finish well in transition. Um, his problem is finishing with contact at the basket. Contact mm. really throws him off his game, uh, and he's not a good finisher if they're, if he's having to bang down low. Uh, but if he's slashing and has an open path to the basket or is in transition, he's a really good finisher. Um his biggest upside uh, as an NBA player is that he is an excellent and aggressive perimeter defender. Uh, he has very, very good defensive footwork, and he's a very smart defender. Um, it's definitely the thing that will get him a job in the NBA and keep him in the NBA for a while. Um, he's going to excel at guarding twos and threes, but be fine guarding ones and fours. Um, he's not going to be able to bang down low with fives. He's 6'6", six, 6'10", six, six, wingspan, so that's fine. Um, he's about 210 pounds, so he's not small and scrawny or anything. He just doesn't have the strength to bang down low with fives, but I don't see why you would ever ask him to unless he was playing on the Houston Rockets, really. Um, he's a really high motor defensively. He's He's always moving his feet, and he's staying in front of his man. Um, which is really good. It's not 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 so much that he gets beaten a lot, uh, but when he does get beaten, he recovers really well. Um, he's super active in passing lanes, although he does have a tendency to be a little overly aggressive in passing lanes, which leads to him getting getting beaten in that way sometimes. Uh, but again, he does uh, he does recover really well if he does get beaten. Um, he's just a pure effort defensively. Um, and he does have really quick and active hands when guarding someone on the perimeter uh, and in the passing lanes. Um, he's not, kind of mentioned this, he's he's not going to create scoring opportunities for himself. Um, don't ask him to be a ball handler. Don't ask him to be a playmaker. Um, he didn't. He did it a few times, but that was at the college level. I don't think he can do it at the NBA level, even with lots of reps. It's just not who he is. Um, really just let him be a spot-up shooter, let him slash with an open lane, and he'll be fine. He'll be a good offensive weapon, but don't ask him to play make. Um, he's not a terrible passer when he's standing still, uh, but if he's if he's moving uh, and dribbling around the court, um, and especially if he has pressure from defenders, he's not a very good passer at all. Uh, but if he's just standing there on the perimeter and is stationary, he can pass out of that fine. He just gets a little jumbled if he's moving around. Um and like I mentioned, he's not a great rim finisher in traffic. Contact throws him off uh, quite a bit. If I had to give him an NBA player comparison, he's a very watered-down version of Clay Thompson. Um, he clearly tries to model his game after Clay Thompson and do the things that Clay Thompson does. I don't, he's, I don't think he's ever going to be that level of player, but he's a, he's a watered-down, slightly less talented version of exactly what Clay Thompson does. I mean, he, Clay doesn't create a whole lot of offense for himself he's he catches passes he can finish or he can slash if he's got an open lane but he's a catch and shoot guy he's an active defender uh really good perimeter defender is usually guarding the team's best wing player that's the type of guy i could see josh green being um again for all the people who are yelling at me saying he's clay i'm saying that i think he's clay thompson he's not he's a watered down version of clay thompson but that's uh 
that's a guy I think he is, and I, I really, really like Josh Green and would certainly be happy with him. So, cool. Yeah. That's any, a... any questions, any thoughts on on our my good Australian boy, Josh Green? Well, if he's Australian, did how much do you do you know how much he's played in Australia? Uh not really at all. He came to America for high school. He went to IMG Academy. Um, and then he went to college at Arizona. And so he didn't play like professionally in Australia. He's just from Australia. Okay, because you know those Australians are real like pesky and physical and sometimes can get downright dirty. Yeah. I uh he's definitely a physical, overly active defender. His feet are always moving um which can be a good thing because he doesn't get lazy he doesn't get flat-footed uh but he does uh does get a little overly aggressive trying to make stuff happen when maybe he should lay back um like kind a, of the exact you know, opposite of, yeah kind of the exact opposite of uh sadiq bay that okay. i talked about last week sadiq's a, a lot more laid back uh defensively he's he's a good defense he's a very very good defender but he doesn't take risks uh, Josh Green may take a few too many risks, so if they can uh, both find a middle ground between the two. Uh, so what great. kind of defensive style would you rather have on the Mavs? So more of a risk taker that p- makes defensive plays or someone that plays it safe? I'd like a risk taker, I think, uh, because we've got Dorian Finney-Smith, um, who's a very good wing defender. So this guy doesn't have to do everything. He doesn't have to be uh, the only wing defender on the team, whoever we draft, because we've got Dorian to rely on there. Um, and so I think he has a little bit of room to to make a few mistakes here and there uh, and, to, and to be a little overly aggressive. But again, I think Sadiq Bey is just a little better. So even though he's a little more reserved, I think he's just a better basketball player, so I'd rather have him. But they, cool. these two are... It wouldn't surprise me to see the two of them go like 17 and 18. They're they're pretty similar players. Hmm. All right, uh, JD, your next your next guy. Cool, yeah, I'd love to talk about Anyeka Kongwu. Who uh, he's a another 19 year old, but this one is six foot nine with a seven one wingspan and weighs 245 pounds. The comp that he gets all the time is Bam Bam Adebayo. Mm-hmm. He's not Bam. Okay. He's he is not Bam. He's not going to be as good as Bam. He doesn't do the same things that Bam does. The things that like the things that make Bam super special are that he's a nuclear athlete and a really 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 good passer. Anyeko Kongwu is an explosive act- athlete but not quite nuclear. Um and he's just not the passer that Bam isn't. He's not, he's not the defender, and I don't think he's going to be the defender. That being said, he is a very good, versatile defender with a lot of different offensive skills. He's a really smart player, but he might be a little too small to guard the very best centers in the league. Um, but we'll see. He's, he's got a lot, of, a lot of weight and strength on him, so I, I could be wrong there. So his his offensive strengths are he's just got a he's got an all around offensive skill set. So he can roll hard to the basket and he's got good finishing ability. He's also got a number of post moves and good foot footwork. So um, he can do all that traditional big man stuff, but he can also put the ball on the floor and make plays for himself and others. He can do a couple of dribbles. He's got some some nifty nifty dribble moves in there. He's got spin moves and crossovers and stuff um so he's 
he's pretty dynamic in in that sense. Uh, and he's an above average passer from the post, so not quite the um, not quite like the the Draymond Green like short roll passes, but more in like the the Boris Diaw vein of passing from the post, which I really like. I, I'm just comparing these guys to to Spurs that I like. <laughs> um, but yeah, passing from the post is something that I'm pretty excited about. He also does um, like when he gets he a rebound. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets a rebound, he he is a decent outlet passer as well. Um, he also sets really hard screens and has good instincts on the offensive glass. Um, so he does a lot of the things that James Wiseman does but he also does more than that. It's just James Wiseman is bigger. Um, and also the things that Okongwu does, he has a lot of different skills, but he's there. He's not elite at any of them. He's, he's just a, a very good, well-rounded player on offense, except for shooting. He's, he's not much of a shooter, but we'll, we'll get to that. Mm. Um, so his defensive strengths are just pick and roll defense. He is very smart in the pick and roll, um, and he can he can guard either the the roll man or the the ball handler in that situation. Uh, he's very switchable. He can probably switch two through five, depending on the the one, wow. maybe one through five. Like he's he's good in space. Um, he plays the passing lanes really well. Um, but that that's in college. People are a little bit more lazy with their passes. Um, but it, it is it is exciting to see some some highlights of him um, doing some pick sixes. Um, and he's a good shot blocker and rebounder. He he knows where to be um, for for a rebound, and he's got a, a really nice vertical to to get some some impressive blocks. Some of his weaknesses, though, are his shooting mechanics. They're not great. He's got a, a janky-looking shot, and even on like catch and shoot, it just—I think it needs to be totally reworked. And who better to do that than Chip, Chip. England? Yeah, that's true. Um, also, he's got—he he gets fouled a lot, which is good, but he has a, a low free throw percentage, just like a little above fifty percent. So. Um, I think that needs to be worked on a bit too if he's going to continue to be as skilled as he is and get to the line. He's got to be able to convert those and get some get some points out of it. Uh, his defensive weaknesses are he just bites on pump fakes, kind of just like James Wiseman. They're both young guys. They they both chase blocks, and so he bites on pump fakes. But he he bites on pump fakes both down low as well as on the perimeter. And you hate to see that. You hate to see people jumping at three-point shooters, but I think he, he's young. He'll 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 have time to get a little bit more disciplined on on defense. So the the areas that I think he can improve are pretty much everything. He's he has a lot of different skills, but they can all be improved. Um, you know, defensive discipline, passing, shooting with chip. Uh, all, all those things he can he can definitely improve on and become a, a much better player. Um, and I think both of these guys that I've talked about today would benefit a ton from one-on-one work with uh, with Timmy. 
just because yeah. they both need a little bit more defensive discipline and um, positioning. Specifically, Wiseman. I think Wiseman would, if he had the chance to work one on one with Tim Duncan, he could become like he could put his his length and his size. He could just maximize his abilities. So yeah, those are those are my two guys, the two big men that I think the Spurs should should maybe not sh- should go for, but if the opportunity presents itself, definitely try and take a shot at one of them. Yeah, Okungwa is a little more attainable than James Wiseman, right? Like he's we'll it's see. a little we'll more a little more realistic that he falls. I mean, he's he's much more NBA ready, so a lot of scouts actually think that Okungwa is the best big man in the draft. Gotcha. So it, it's one of those things where we don't know. We don't know, man. Yeah. I think the the consensus is that Wiseman is probably a top five, and Okongwu is definitely a top ten player, mm-hmm. but or top ten player in the draft, not top ten player in the NBA. That's, right. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and anything can happen. So um, I think if we don't go for one of these like big men in the draft we should really try and uh sign a a versatile big defender in uh in free agency someone like Derek Jones Jr. I might talk about uh, free agent targets on a on a future yeah. episode but yeah we'll we'll definitely get to free agent targets for sure probably after the draft whatever that's going to be yeah that'll um That'll clear up some some things in my mind, but I just I, I I really value big, strong, switchable defenders, mm-hmm. and that would be a Kongwu. Um, Wiseman is more of a uh, if it works, then it's going to be awesome. If yep. he if he becomes the player that he could be with his size and the skills that he already has, he'll be a really really good two way potential like all-star caliber caliber player so cool uh all right i'm gonna go to my my second guy of the episode i he's someone that realistically i think could be there at 31 that maps first first pick of the second round uh but again with this draft there's no telling um he may be taken somewhere around 24 uh he could fall away down to 40 this guy especially because he's he, he seems like a boomer bust guy um, I don't know how much I want the Mavs to get him. Like, I'm not like desperate for him. I'm incredibly intrigued by him, though, um, because if it works and he figures it out, I think it could be really good. Um, but he also has a very good chance of just not not amounting to a whole lot. Um, but really, the selling point was that he went to Texas Tech, and so he's just stay in Texas. You know what I mean? Uh, that's, mm-hmm. That was really the deciding factor for me. For me, wanting to do a little bit of a deep dive on him. Uh, but I, I want to talk about Jemias Ramsey. Um, he's 19 years old, and he doesn't turn 20 until June. So he's really young. Um, he's a, I'm calling him a wing from Texas Tech. He's six foot four, um, and his wingspan is disputed. Uh, NBA.com nice. draft profile says he has a six six wingspan. Uh, most other places says that he has, uh, his wingspan is rumored to be six ten, Um, and so we don't, we don't have exact measurements on that, which is weird, but I guess uh, living in the time of Corona, like you can't go to the guy and measure his wingspan. So we have mm-hmm. to, if we get some sort of combine, I'm sure we'll figure that out. But yeah, his wingspan is somewhere between six, six, six and six ten. Uh, but I guess we'll figure that out soon. 
Um, and he's about 195 pounds. So at 6'4", he's not undersized. He's not weak or anything. Um, he's he's a decent size, decent size kid. Um, he's a scorer. Um, like if we're playing 2K, he's a pure shot creator. The the guy just scores. Um, he's microwave. Yeah, he's absolutely a microwave guy, and I'll get it. I'll actually get into him being a microwave guy here in a bit. That is something that I have written down. Um, he he has impressive body control and footwork offensively. Uh, that kind of allows him to score from wherever the heck he wants to. Um, he's pretty good at scoring at the rim. He's got the body control and footwork to pull up in the mid range and shoot a mid range. Uh, he's got a good three point shooting stroke. He shot 42% from three on over five attempts per game. So the volume is there. The numbers are there. Um, shot selection is his biggest issue offensively. Um, because again, like I, I have 2K written down here three times because he's, he's kind of like one of those 2K players that decides he's going to score no matter what. So he takes bad shots and doesn't mm-hmm. see his teammates. Well, tunnel um, vision. Yeah, he sort of has a tendency to do that, so he could certainly stand to dial it back a bit. Uh, but offensively, he has lots of really impressive tools. Um, I think an NBA coach, a disciplined NBA coach, a la Rick Carlisle, could probably drill that out of him um, if he needed to uh, and, and uh, help him realize he doesn't have to do anything himself and let him be an off-ball scorer. That doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. have to create shots for himself. Yeah. Uh, he has a very quick release on the catch and shoot. He has really real potential to excel as a catch and shoot scorer uh, on the perimeter. Um, but he's also a really explosive athlete. He's got a really great ability to finish in transition and he's a really explosive dunker. Um, and so that's really exciting to see. The problem is when he gets the ball in the perimeter and tries to uh, create that path for himself to the rim and dunk. That's when things get a little scary. Uh, but if you if you find him on the uh, find him in transition, uh, you find him as a slasher. His ability to finish at the rim is, uh, or at least his ability to explosively dunk at the rim is is cool to see. Um, some of the negatives, he's not good at defense. He has really bad. I don't think he knows how to play defense. I don't think he's ever been taught defense. Hmm. Um, he has really bad footwork and really even worse effort on the defensive end of the floor. Physically, he has all the tools in the world to be a very good defender. He's really athletic. He's got those long arms, uh, probably. Again, we'll see. We, yeah, we'll see. Uh, he does have all the tools to be a very good defender. I just, yeah, again, I don't think he has. He's been taught how to play defense, uh, and most of his effort is dedicated to the offensive end of the floor because, again, he's a two K player. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he's a two K character. I think. Um, he loses his man a lot on defense uh, due to poor court awareness, which again is something that you have to learn. Um, but he could be a really good microwave scorer off the bench type of guy. And I think that's where he'll excel. And I think he could make a career out of that for sure. Uh, free throw shooting is a very big concern, which isn't good because that oftentimes will lead to for, or will uh, point to form issues and say that it, maybe he's not going to be able to shoot well at the next level. But it's weird. It's it, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's a this is only worth one point, so I don't care thing because his shot looks really good when he's shooting threes. Uh, but he only shot 64% from the free throw line this season, yeah. which is bad. Like, it's really not good. Um, so he really, really has to improve, especially with how much he likes to attack the basket. Um, he's not a good passer. I don't ask him to be a playmaker. It's not where he excels. Um, I just don't think, I think his court vision is bad. Uh, both ends of the floor, really. I think he, you, I mean, you said that he suffers really bad from tunnel vision. 
Um, I could see him making a career as a as a watered down Lou Williams type of guy. Let him come off the bench forever, play 25 minutes a game and score in bunches and then come back off and sit for a few minutes. You know what I mean? Um, he's very much a microwave guy uh, in that uh, regard. The best comparison really I've seen for him is J.R. Smith, like a young J.R. Smith. You know, like there's sometimes you see J.R. Smith play basketball and you're like, holy cow, this guy's incredible because he's dunking on people. He's making uh he's making really impressive shots he's leaning shooting fadeaways he comes and he scores 30 points off the bench and you're like wow jr smith is great and then the next game he like plays eight minutes and scores one point and shoots 13 threes and doesn't make it you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I, I he's probably that guy yeah he's probably that guy but he could be lou williams um and so that's that's why Jemias ramsey is is super intriguing to me yeah, because if he figures yeah. it out, if the effort uh, shows up somehow, if someone teaches him how to play defense, I think he could be a really good basketball player. Um, but I, I think best case scenario, he's somewhere between a Lou Williams and a J.R. Smith, which is a good, very good basketball player. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. that's like his ceiling, I think. And so, shooters yeah. shooters off the bench tend to be like fan favorite type guys, yeah. which is which is oh, always yeah. fun to draft. He's got swagger. He's got confidence for days. Um, yeah, defensive effort is my biggest issue with him for sure. He's he's bad defensively. So kind of a Jamal Crawford esque. Yeah, ex- yeah. Except oh. Jamal Crawford is a good playmaker and ball handler. Yeah, Jamal Jamal Crawford's a much better ball handler and playmaker. Really, J.R. Smith is the best. Like as far as like how he plays basketball, J.R. Smith is the best comp that I've seen for him for sure. Like a younger Nuggets, J.R. Smith. You know what I mean? Cool. So yeah, any Jemias Ramsey questions, comments, concerns? I did look oh, and concerns. see it. concerns is, for sure. <laughs> he is from the Dallas area, so keeping it real. Yeah, I have that. He went to. Uh, he's from Arlington, um, Arlington, Texas, yeah. and he went to Texas Tech, and so he's a Texas boy, uh, which is was the the final selling point on me deciding to do a bit of yeah. a dive on him. But yeah, I. I wouldn't yeah, be mad at him at 31 because 31 is the type of pick that you you kind of shoot your shot and you you try to hit a try to hit a home run and sometimes mm-hmm. you swing too hard and miss and that's okay right. you can't be you can't be too mad about missing on the 31st pick but he yeah. could be good Second he could be a really exciting player especially in this in this draft there's going to be mm-hmm. so many guys that either are you know home run shots or chances are you're going to be able to find a a role player able to contribute early on in his career at 31. So yeah, I think he could right away, right away. You'd have him coming off the bench as like the eighth man in the depth chart, ask him to uh, play 20 minutes a game, put him in for five minute stretches and say, Hey, just go score the basketball. I think he could be useful right away. Yeah. Um, it's just if he's going to get better than that. Is yeah. mm-hmm. Just ahead of your ninth man, Jeff green. <laughs> <laughs> You guys only have six players on your team, and you'll never convince me otherwise. It's true. Uh, all right, James, do you want to give us a, a little bit of a look towards the the Rockets' future? Maybe talk a little bit about uh, Dan Tony's departure. How you're feeling about that? Uh, what what things might look like next season, or even in a few seasons? Sure. Yeah. So, really, looking at this immediate off season, have no cap space, and we have no draft picks. So. It's kind of one of those things where you think maybe Daryl Morey will pull a rabbit out of his hat again and do something wild. Um, 
But other than that, there's really, I guess, no much or not much that we can do other than maybe look at evaluating players that we have that to trade, which really even that we don't even have that many because we have Westbrook, Harden, and Gordon combined are at almost $100 million between those three next year and the next two seasons after that. And we have $123 million committed to our top six guys, which is Russ, Harden, Tucker, Gordon, Robert Covington, and Daniel House. Top and only six guys. You don't yeah. have seven players. One thought I have is, are we going to be able to keep Daniel House? Is that kind of a trouble in the locker room type of thing? Or, yeah, you know, I was going to ask, do you, do you of, want to keep Daniel House? Yeah, I, I think with that you know, sign of immaturity there, I think that a lot of people will sour on him. So we'll see. Because uh, he, he is locked into a bargain contract for the next few seasons. But I, I wonder what we could get for him, especially well, because the Thunder have a lot of draft picks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that's our top six guys, and the other guys that we have, those are only guys under guaranteed contract. Others we have are Austin Rivers, who has a player option. I would assume that he's going to decline that because it's really just a little more than two million dollars. So I think Austin Rivers will opt out. And become a free agent and in this economy. Then, hey, I mean, that's just a little bit more than the minimum wage for him. So <laughs> I think that he can get a longer term or higher value contract for someone potentially. Yeah. I mean, and if not, then he would probably just come back for a similar contract. And the other guy is Ben McLemore. His is partially guaranteed. I'm unsure exactly like how much is guaranteed or anything like that. But I do think that he's somebody, especially with our current situation, he's a quality spark plug off the bench sometimes. And another guy that we have is David Nwaba. He's recovering from an Achilles injury, but we signed him knowing that he was recovering from an uh, Achilles injury. So he's got a, another year or two, like it's a team deal. Um, so we, we signed him for two years right before the bubble. And so we'll see. I think that's kind of a shot in the dark. Hey, maybe this guy will come back back and be good. Cause he, he kind of had shown flashes when he was on the nets and he's a good hard nosed defender. So he, I don't know. He's kind of a potential. Well, I think he was one of those. We pick him up because we can. We got another roster spot before the yeah, bubble. Because you have to, have to have X amount of people in the roster in order to. Yeah. Play. So, like, that was kind of, we picked him up and signed him for next year, too, just in case. He might be your sixth best player next year. I, yeah. <clears throat> so, those are our only guys, like, under contract for next year. Um, other than Chris con- Clemens. Have you considered for a second. Like, are you anywhere near the trade everybody for assets and young players point? Like, trade Harden, trade Westbrook, trade Gordon, trade Tucker, trade everybody for young players, start over. Trade everyone except Tucker. Yeah, yeah keep, keep Tucker. Tucker. Keep Tucker as a cornerstone. Uh, I'm not saying I, you should. That's not, like, me suggesting anything. I'm just wondering if, like, are Rockets fans there yet? I don't think Rockets fans are there. I do see... Even 538 is saying that everything should be on the table for the Rockets, even Harden's future. But 
I think the issue is the whole blowing it up. The problem is we don't have our draft picks for the next foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So that like, even if we did, you know, stink up the court for the next few seasons, we won't be getting the returns that normally come with true. That. Yeah. So that is the real issue with trying to trade everyone. And like, Try if if we tried to trade Russell Westbrook, we would probably have to give up more assets to do that because yeah, he's, he's got negative value at this point just because he's making with so with much that contract money. of forty million plus for the next three seasons. Yeah, like he he really has no value. He's a good basketball player, but yeah, he's with that money, he's making into negative value at this point. Exactly. So really, the only people we have that would be good value would be Robert Covington, James Harden would be yeah, he's got all our value. And then uh maybe Eric Gordon and maybe Daniel House, but even them are question marks because Gordon, he's kind of been injury prone and that's kind of come back the last year or two. And Daniel House is Daniel House. We all see as his wife posted on Instagram, you re- you reap what you sow. So we'll see. Ooh, I didn't <laughs> see that. Oh no. Uh, where are you at with the whole head coach thing? So we know that we know that Dan Tony's gone. Do yeah. you is has there have you seen any kind of short list as to who the next person is going to be, or do you have a wish list maybe? I so my thought people a lot of people were saying that we should get rid of Dan Tony. I really my thought is that him like I don't I can't really think of anybody at least thus far that has a proven coach or anything that is good or as good as him to coach James Harden and this team. We had actually a pretty good defense, especially in the first round uh, of the playoffs. And our defense was kind of improved. We were in the, you know, we were, we were not a subpar defense for the season as a whole. Um, So whenever you think D'Antoni, you think offense, but offense or you know, offense only defense is a problem, but defense really wasn't that big of an issue. Mm-hmm. And so if, and so you would think that Mike D'Antoni <clears throat> would be able to figure things out offensively, but I did see someone saying that D'Antoni had increased concerns that our owner would not commit towards spending on a roster after pressuring the front office to make the cost cutting moves in the recent seasons to avoid luxury tax, which we've seen it in the past. So I could, see that happening again so i totally understand and i think d'antoni is probably tired of the pressure and just all the questions about everything because the pressure of being on the rockets and being on this taking things to the extreme of daryl morey is probably a lot to take one thing that i saw from a couple weeks ago uh when a reporter asked him just giving him all these questions about small ball he's he just responded with here's the thing like you look at the miami heat their tallest player is what? Bam. He's he's six foot nine. Other than that, like they don't have any tall guys either. Like why aren't people talking about them as the small ball team either? Like we we're it's kind of becoming more normalized. So I think I, I don't know what his thinking is. I think he does want to still coach. So I could see him going somewhere else and doing having kind of less pressure of the way everything is and how people perceive the Rockets. Um as this experiment. So I think he could go and do something, have a similar team even, and still be kind of a little more relaxed. I think, especially at the first time, first bit of time. 
Um, as yeah. far as players, or uh, play, well, I say players because the, the coaches that I've seen are former players, one being Sam Cassell, reportedly has, there's Would be cool there. I, I, I was very upset to see that Mike D'Antoni wasn't coming back, but then I saw Sam Cassell. I was like, I'm listening. <laughs> um, and other than that, I haven't seen anybody else other than the fact that the betting odds had Sam Cassell and Tyron Lewis, the betting favorites. And I, between those two, I a hundred percent would say Sam Cassell. I think Tyron Lewis, Tyron Lewis at the top of every vacant, vacant coaching jobs yeah. favorites and for whatever reason. Ty Lu, he's, I mean, he did win a title, but that was with LeBron, and we don't have LeBron. We have James Harden, who's very different. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't see it being that being a good fit. So really, thus far, those are the only two things that I've seen about it, is that there's mutual interest between Sam Cassell and the Rockets. Oh, I guess I should mention the thing that happens every time the Rockets are looking for a new coach is the rumors about Jeff Van Gundy come back. Every yeah. single time. So that's the other name that I've heard is Jeff Van Gundy, who you know they're saying that he could bring he's kind of a hard nosed guy and that type of attitude could potentially be good for the team, but we'll see. I think he does enjoy his job of working a couple nights a week as an announcer and so we'll see if he's willing to get back in the coaching game. He's just isn't he just mad at the modern NBA all the time? Ah, uh, pretty much. So he's seems like a great fit. Yeah, <laughs> hand in glove. Uh, all right, we're gonna we're gonna finish off here with a game that uh, Jonathan has dubbed role reversal. Uh, we're we're gonna discuss basically lists a few of our favorite role players from the other two Texas teams. So I don't get to talk about Mavericks role players. Uh, I'm going to talk about my favorite Rockets and Spurs role players of all time. I think maybe there's a little bit of miscommunication. James said we should come up with the starting five of role players. So I came up with a Rockets starting five and a Spurs starting five. I think you guys just came up with a combined starting five. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. A bit of an overachiever there. So. Yeah. Well, you know me. Uh, well, then I guess since I've got the most, I'll start with my Rockets and then you guys can go through yours and I'll finish with my Spurs. How's that? Nice. Uh, okay. My yeah. my favorite Rockets role players. I said starting five. Really, it just means five players. If I had to put them in position, I suppose I could, but I don't think I want. Yeah, to. no positions. It's fine. Um, let's start with uh, Vernon Maxwell, the king of Twitter. Uh, oh, he's yeah. he's too funny on Twitter. Uh, the incredible shade that he throws at uh, Oklahoma and Utah is just super funny to me. Him as a incredible. player, I don't I don't know much about. I've never followed the Rockets. I've never really cared about the Rockets. Uh, I don't know anything about him as a player, although I think he is one of the only players that did play for each of the Spurs, Mavericks and Rockets at one point. Uh, I don't think he played very much for the Spurs and Rockets, but or the Spurs and Mavs, I mean, but I think he was on both teams at one point. I think he actually finished his career in Dallas, but he only played like a few games with us or something like that. Um so Vernon Maxwell is my first favorite Rockets role player. Uh, next is Luis Scola, um, entirely oh, because yeah. of the headband. So good. His little, his little volleyball headband um, with his hair slicked back behind his ears. Um, played a lot with him on 2K. That Those will always be my Luis Scola memories. I got to see him a year or two ago when the Rockets in preseason played the Shanghai Sharks when it was... Louis Scola, Jimmy, uh, Jimmer Fredette, and then a bunch of people who no one Does he knew. Does still look and, the same? Is he still rocking the volleyball headband? 
Um, I think he had short hair at this point. We did have a tribute video for him, and then Jimmer Fredette shot over half the team's shots for the game, as you'd expect. So mm. it was it was a fun time. <laughs> they had a tribute video for him. Got to I would see like to say for the points. record, I have zero interest in short hair Luis Scola. This is all long hair yeah. volleyball head being Luis Scola. At one point, he had a man bun. Yeah, I'm even okay with that. I just I don't want short hair Luis Scola anywhere near my favorite Rockets role player list. Just fair. Uh, my next one is PJ Tucker, for obvious reasons. So love pancakes, love shoes. Has a giant butt. Um, is is a six four, six five guy who plays center, and I just love that. He uh, recently there was a picture of him with his super fancy bag that was had with cinnamon, cinnamon toast, toast crunch inside of it. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. In a bag that costs like thousands of dollars that he's carried around that has an open box of cinnamon toast crunch. It's just <laughs> fantastic. I love PJ Tucker. Uh, next on my list is uh, Rafer Skip to My Lou Alston. Um, oh, yes. 100% of the reason he's on this list is because of his time with the N1 mixtape tour. Um, 100%. You could not he even, did. if you told me he never played for the Rockets, I'd believe you because I only think and care of him as a street baller. He did bring that to one game during the Rockets' 22-game win streak when we were ahead against the Lakers and Sasha Vujicic was like pressing him at half court when the game was over, and so he just started like pulling out these street ball moves. It was great. Yeah, they got awesome. teed up. It was phenomenal. His time as a street baller was awesome. I used to spend a lot of time watching the N1 mixtape tour, and he was one of the favorites for sure. Um, the final player on my Rockets role players uh, favorite Rockets role players list. Uh, don't know anything about this guy. I added him because I needed a fifth player and I like his name. Uh, Sleepy Floyd. Sleepy Floyd. I don't know if you've heard of Sleepy Floyd. Uh, I don't know anything about him. I just saw that he played for the Rockets and his nickname is Sleepy. And I think that's very funny. So he made my list. Uh, oh, yeah. Jonathan, what a, let's hear your favorite role players from the, the Rockets and Matt. All right. On my list, uh, you named three of my guys already. That was Vernon Maxwell, PJ Tucker, and Luis Scola. For the similar reasons, I assume. Oh, the exact same reasons. Yeah, yeah. Scola was drafted by the Spurs. Yep, that, that's another reason why he's on my list. Um, unfortunately, the Spurs couldn't keep him because there was a, an issue contractually. Um, so we had to. He was trade. a drafted stash, and then he eventually got traded. Yeah, we had to trade the rights away to Houston, and he was, was a great twenty-nine-year-old rookie. Yeah. Uh, so for my other two, which are going to be the Mavs. I have Jose Juan. Yeah, he's great, man. He's a little pesky turd. Oh, I love yes. him. Love him. Uh, but can't go anywhere. Uh, he can't go anywhere without Devin Harris. The Slash Brothers, <laughs> the Slash dude. Brothers. They come in a package. They are a pair. They're like, um, I don't know what comes in twos. <laughs> Twix. Two peas in a pod. <laughs> They're like a little I don't know. Twix. There's a rivalry with Twix. So. The- really? The uh, backdoor cut pass from J.J. Barea to Devin Harris is the second most beautiful thing on a basketball court. It's so nice. It's so nice. Maxi Kleba's face. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I I, I love those two because they're the Slash Brothers. Love the Slash Brothers. Makes me happy to hear that they're on your list. Uh, James, your your favorite Spurs and Mavs role players. All right. So I totally had... Forgotten about JJ Brea, but so I think I'll stick with my other five. But he is definitely worthy of being on this list. So I'm gonna go with for Mavs. I got Boban for obvious reasons. He's yeah, of the course. best person in the NBA. I wanted to. I didn't think I could include him because he spent 
time with the Spurs. That's fair. Yeah. See, since he was a he was a spur, so I, I got him for you. For the record, um, I did not stick to that rule. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second map that I'm going to go with most, I mean, it's exclusively because of that title team is Brian Cardinal, the custodian. Yeah, dude, the custodian. And I did pull up his basketball reference. I want to see if y'all can guess his other two nicknames. Oh, no. There's the, the custodian. Janitor. He was definitely called the janitor because people forgot that he was called the custodian. <laughs> BC. Uh, you gotta no. give me a, give me a hint. Uh, it's a playoff, an old movie. How old? I. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is. I mean, I knew the custodian and the janitor. Janitor is It's a playoff of the like, movie. It's a playoff of the movie, movie that is. 19 yeah citizen kane so it's a playoff of citizen kane custodian I kane? i don't know citizen pain oh no oh, that's real good <laughs> i saw that i was like this is amazing we have to i have to bring this up i yeah, yeah. that's really great that's about um, another round of basketball reference nickname game <laughs> by james uh and then for the other three i went spurs so i got Patty Mills, excellent, he's amazing. He's great. Oh man, that video where he like photo bombs or video bombs a, a live news reporter is amazing. Um, and then the other, the second Frenchie on the on the Spurs, Boris Diaw. How dare you? He was a star. This is for role players <laughs> only. <laughs> I mean, he's a star in my heart. Uh, and then the other one. The medium fundamental Matt Bonner. The sandwich mm-hmm. hunter. The sandwich hunter. Coach B. He's, he's amazing. Coach B. Ah, oh, those videos. For one, he had a sandwich blog. Amazing. Just great. It was Search for the Hoagie Grail. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had some hilarious videos on YouTube too. His retirement video was also incredible. Uh, fun fact the uh, the basketball shoes that I still wear today. I bought them because they're the ones that Matt Bonner wears, just a couple of sizes smaller. Heck yeah. yeah. They Those stopped producing them. They stopped producing them. So Matt Bonner went and he bought all of all of them in his size. So I had to grab my size before they were out. Didn't he also like take the subway when he was on the Raptors? Yeah, he didn't have a car. That's why they call him the Red Rocket, because that's the uh That's why. That's that's the name of the the, the rail. Oh, I love it. Uh, all right, I'll I'll finish this out here with my favorite Spurs role players, three fifths of whom have already been mentioned, so I'll get them out of the way. Patty Mills, of course, Obviously. he's an angel. Absolutely, Matt Bonner, of course. Well, he's one of my favorite NBA players of all time, if nothing else, just because his nickname is the Red Rocket, and that's very funny to me. <laughs> uh, and of course, Boban, because he he literally is the perfect human being. Oh, bad, and, and was a Spurs player for a while. Uh, my final two favorite Spurs role players are cheating, uh, and it's beca- entirely because of their association with the Mavs. Uh, Avery Johnson, of course, played for the Mavs for a little bit, was a Mavs coach for a, a little while. general. Yeah, the, li- <laughs> the little <laughs> general, Avery Johnson. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Michael Finley is my final favorite Spurs. He was a role player, I think, when he got to the Spurs. Um He's top. A, he's in the top ten for Spurs all time three point shooting. 
but he was a he was a bona fide star on the Mavs, and I love mm-hmm. him forever. Um, I love him uh, partially because he was able to round out the uh, the trio of dirty, filthy, nasty, which is one of my favorite trio nicknames Ooh. in all of basketball: Dirty Dirk, Filthy Finley, and Nasty Nash. Just a great nickname. And I have considered starting a podcast. I just need two other Mavs fans to start it with me. But uh, I will at some point have a Mavs <laughs> podcast called Dirty, Filthy, Nasty. Which one are you? Are you dirty, filthy, or nasty? Uh, I think Danny. I'm, I think I'm dirty Dirk. Uh, but like last season of his career, Dirk, where he didn't really move around a lot and just kind of shot spot up threes. Okay, uh, so dirty Dan, D- dirty Dan. Yeah, dirty Dan. <laughs> sure, gross. That feels gross. <laughs> uh, all right, that's gonna that's gonna do it for us. Thanks for listening to the Texas Triangle. Uh, I want to thank the Canes for the use of their song "Starry Eyed." Uh, I also want to thank Sean Bradley, Tracy McGrady, and Brent Barry for obvious reasons. Uh, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your to this show. It really does help a lot. Tell your friends to check us out. You can follow us on Twitter at TXTrianglePod, or you can email us at TexasTrianglePod at gmail.com if you want. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Until next time, remember that sometimes you got to work a little so you can ball a lot. Bye, Craig. <laughs>